Good morning. Okay, I have two books, one to give away at each service. I'm trying to decide which one I want to give away, this and the second service. Uh, we'll go with Arthur Pink on the Sovereignty of God for the first service. Um, and I won't tell you what the second book is, because then you'd be like, why didn't he pick that one? So, what's that? Yes, yeah, there you go. And you'll know the answer to my question. When Jesus is arrested, and so the way this works is the first person to say the name wins. When Jesus was taken into custody, Peter pulled out a sword, and he cut the ear off a soldier. What was the soldier's name? This will become a sword drill quickly if nobody knows. John 18.10. Oh, did anybody hear what Dennis just said? What did he say? Malchus. Malchus. You know, Dennis is an elder, and he could go buy this book anytime he wants to. So, <laughs> What's that? Oh. <laughs> you guys are so smart. I'm going to give this to Dennis, and here's what I'm going to do. He gets to pick his favorite church member to give it to. So to go to Barb. So if you turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. I have every intention of, of going right back to Genesis next Sunday. Daniel chapter 4. <laughs> after, after Dennis's call to worship, I was going to say, the Lord laid it on my heart, which he did. Um, but I also plan on doing an exposition of a passage of Scripture. So um, I don't know if you know this or not. There's an election that's going to be ending, uh, and um, there's a lot of discussion. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's actually a lot of unrest in our world right now, riots, uh, people dying, law enforcement officers being murdered in their vehicle. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there was some fires going on on the coast a little while ago that burned up a bunch of homes and scared a lot of people. The economy has taken a major hit. We didn't gather for worship for three months or so, still trying to follow some guidelines, and a lot of people nervous about the coronavirus. All of this taking place has brought a lot of emotion in our world right now, a lot of anger. I have... I personally, which isn't a long span of time, but in the last 15, 14, 15 years of ministry, I've never spoken to more people depressed and discouraged than I have in the last two months from all walks of our county. So I got to thinking about something, and it drew me to this passage, and I want to read the text, pray, and then explain where I want to take you. So, Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. 
All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Father, as we come to your word, I am pleading with you, Lord God, that theology, doctrine, truth would encourage the saints. Those of us gathered here, the second service, those at home listening, watching, Father, that the word of God would come to our rescue. God, that we might see more clearly because of our time in your word today. And that, Father, you'd make us more steadfast. The world is in need of faithful, strong, stable Christians. So, Lord, I pray that this time in your word would be a a peace to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Truth brings stability. Truth brings stability. I don't know about you, if you've ever been on an airplane where you experience turbulence, but I have. I remember hearing somebody actually scream at one point. I don't remember if we were flying back to Boston to visit family or if this was one of the Kenya trips, but hitting it and feeling like one of the worst potholes in Tillamook County. And people just kind of freaking out and grabbing their thing. And I remember we dropped... And my seatbelt was super loose because I don't like rules. And as I remember, I remember my, uh, my back end lifting off the seat up into the seatbelt and then coming back into my seat and grabbing that thing and gasping. And yet, there are people in this world who jump out of perfectly good airplanes. Now, we could debate on their mental state all day long. But parachuting, people, and this is the interesting part, they pay money to jump out of the airplane. And I'm going, I'm grabbing the handle of this seat because of the turbulence in this plane, and you're paying money to jump out of that plane. What is wrong with you? Well, the fact is the truth stabilizes them that there's a parachute that when they jump out, they'll pull a cord and then they'll go for this really neat ride and eventually they'll land on the ground. Anybody here ever jumped out of an airplane doing that? I knew there was one crazy person in the church, but any others? No, just Wendy. But the knowledge of that parachute stabilized you. Doesn't mean that you weren't fearful, doesn't mean that you weren't somewhat scared, but you were stable as opposed to all people just going crazy on a plane when they say, prepare yourself for a crash landing. People go, oh, what's happening? Why? What's what's happening? They're yelling and they're talking to people. You see people crying, people holding their kids, and you go, and yet, if I talk to this person, I go, well, your parachute works, and we'll fly up there and you'll jump out. Awesome, I'm in. Here's my money. Same thing with a person who jumps off a bridge and they say, yeah, but there's this really neat rubber band connected to my ankles and I'll bounce, it will be a rush and I will come back safe and sound. Knowledge stabilizes. Knowledge stabilizes. 
whether you're jumping from a plane or if you are jumping from bridge or if you get into a vehicle with somebody and that person is somebody that you've seen drive before, you have a, a level of, of security. When I, when I ride with a deputy and we've got to go code to some call, I don't get scared. I get, I get excited, but it, it's because I trust his driving. He's had EVOC training. He's prepared. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to respond. And that knowledge puts me at ease. Someday I'll teach my children to drive. You get my, get my point. When we have something that comes and rests in our mind that stabilizes us, it's going to be okay, you are secure, we are able to endure strange things. Truth stabilizes. And if there's a word, beloved, that I would say fits the bill for a lot of people that I've been talking to, believers and unbelievers, is there is a sense of instability, fear, anxiety. And so I want us to consider the precious truth of the sovereignty of God this morning. Sovereignty of God is a topic that is controversial among Christians, which amazes me, but nonetheless it's controversial. And yet the more I study the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the more I am put at rest and comforted by that truth. And so the context I want to look at this in is Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. I'm going to be doing a lot of reading at the, at the bat, at the, off the bat here, so just follow along with me if you would, because there's a heavy context that's important here. Chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me, so I made a decree that all the wise men, put that in parentheses in your Bible, of Babylon should be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who is named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of, the magi- chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. So here's, here's what he saw in his dream. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. And the tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible at the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, A holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. 
Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end of the living may know, uh, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So, Here's the king, here's a dream, and he calls together all the people that he typically rests on. These are the people that he usually goes to and says, I need your help. Can you help me get through this? Give me an interpretation. None of them were able to give any interpretation to him. None of them could ease him. All of them failed to bring comfort to him, and it's starting to really bother him. And so, coming to Daniel, he asks this question. I need you to interpret it. Now, it's interesting. He in my Bible, all the lowercase g in reference to the gods. This is not the true God. Because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even know what he's talking about when he says you have the spirit of the gods. But he knows there is something special and something different with Daniel. Remember, we, we just had the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego event. We had the Daniel and, and all that he's gone through thus far. There's something special about this man you come, and I want you again to be the interpreter of this dream for me. Let me know what it means. There's this tree, it's growing, it's massive, it's precious, it's beautiful, and it's getting chopped down. What does it mean, Daniel? Now, what's interesting, guys, Daniel does not just burst out with his interpretation. Look, look, at, the, look at the text, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. Why? Because it's not good news. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream of the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is fascinating. Daniel doesn't say this is his word. Daniel puts the authority of God on the interpretation, 
This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. I love that, word, that phrase, heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps, very interesting word that you see all the time in the prophets, this concept of perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All right, so track with me, guys. You see what's happening here? I had a dream. I asked these guys to tell me the dream. None of them could answer me the dream. Daniel, I need you to interpret the dream. Okay, I'll interpret the dream. What was the dream? And he tells him the dream. Daniel's alarmed and dismayed because, wow, that sounds horrible. But he says, Belshazzar, tell me the dream. Well, may this dream be on your enemies, but it's not. The fact is, you're the tree. I'm the tree. You're the tree. You have grown. You have this magnificent palace. You have glory, Nebuchadnezzar. People look at you and are profoundly impressed at who you are and at what you've done. You are amazing in how God has prospered you. And because you have completely denied him and rejected him, you're the tree that's going to be cut down, branches chopped off. God's had enough, and so he's going to take it all away from you. But perhaps if you turn your ways and you stop living in your pride and your arrogance, drunk with your own success, and you practice righteousness and turn to the Lord, perhaps he'll lengthen this and show you mercy. Twelve months later. Now, that it says this in the next portion we're going to look at in just a sec, but he had this dream. He's alarmed. He's dismayed. Daniel, who has proven himself a man of God, comes and interprets the dream, gives him great clarity of what's going to happen, and then a warning. So think about this, beloved. Here's what God says, and here's the warning. And you haven't paid for it yet. Stop. Stop in your tracks and turn right now. And show yourself a better man, a different man. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, now please pay careful attention to the heart of this man. Is not this great Babylon, which I have built? Now, real quick, do you think... 
he, every brick, every bit of timber, everything, he with his own hands did. You're getting, you're getting a flavor of the spirit of this man. No we. Not even we. Sometimes you hear that royal we where somebody goes, look at what we have done. Even when they're not involved, they say we. He doesn't even go there. He says, I. All glory and honor is me. I am the guy. How often do we hear this in our culture, whether we hear it in elections, whether we hear it at the grocery store, we hear it from other people where every sentence begins with, I did this, I accomplished this, I'm so proud of myself for fill in the blank. This is what he's saying in his heart. We're getting a, a picture of what is in the heart of this man. Look at how magnificent This is. But he's not that interested in what he's done and what he's built. He's interested in what it says about him. Much like what we saw in Genesis with the city in Babel where they wanted to build the tower with the desire to make a name for themselves. They wanted to make themselves look great. And so Nebuchadnezzar, absolutely drunk on his own pride, arrogance, and true success in the eyes of this world. I've built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. Think about that. The words are still in his mouth, like right in the instant. Look at this. The glory of my majesty, as that word is still in his mouth, coming out into the air, boom, taken away, done. Now, had he said this before this time? Is this the very first time he'd ever said something like that? Well, no, I I really doubt that. But God has selected in this moment the prophecy that God gave in the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, the interpretation through Daniel, comes to fruition with great clarity in the midst of his statement. God, in his sovereign control, said, enough is enough. And, beloved, the interesting piece that we'll be looking at more is when God says that, nobody tells God to stop. There are all kinds of people and things and rules and laws in our world that, call, that tell us, stop. Nothing tells God, stop. And so what happens to this great, glorious king? The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know, until you know what? That the Most High rules the kingdom of men. Notice, not the kingdom of heaven, which he does. But that's not the point he's driving home to Nebuchadnezzar. He's not saying God's in sovereign control of heaven only. 
He wants Nebuchadnezzar to get this between his ears. He's in sovereign control here, now. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. What happened to this guy? Well, he was driven out from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Now, I, there's no reason in the passage at all to take that metaphorically or some poetic license to run amok with that. No, I think what really happened, literally, he was removed from his own palace, from his own kingdom. God took him away from men. He's out there in the field eating grass, covered with the dew, bird's claws, nasty hair, as a spectacle, and his senses are gone. He's lost it. God has taken away from him his glory, his majesty. His pride has been smashed. There's a a very clear theme, you guys, throughout Scripture of God's detestation for the pride of man. God despises the pride of man. Verse after verse after verse after verse declares this truth. Side note really quick, ask the question, why does God hate pride so much? What's so interesting about pride is that it's, it's invisible, and we're good at concealing it. Especially we Christians are good at concealing it. Um, We cloak our pride in humility often. God despises pride because at the root of pride is a denial of God's existence. Because what we're doing is we're taking his glory that is fully his and making it our own. You and I were never designed to be boastful in ourselves, to be proud in ourselves, to see ourselves before that glory. We were designed to reflect the glory of another. And we're going against the very opposite, doing the very opposite and going against completely the truth of what God has designed us for. And so here's Nebuchadnezzar, out in the field, covered in the dew, bird's claws, Crazy. And God is about to restore him. And the lesson he learns and the restoration that takes place in this text is really what I want to comfort your hearts with. And it's fascinating, you guys. The text that I want to show you and encourage you with this morning is actually a passage that is very true from from the Scripture, has a great way of, of comforting and touching our soul, And it's spoken by Nebuchadnezzar. I believe it's inspired. I believe it's true. I believe it is the word of God. But it's interesting. This came from the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Four. And here's his declaration. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. That doesn't mean they don't have value. It doesn't mean that they're not precious by God's creation. What he's saying is, in comparison to the value and majesty of God, they're counted as nothing. Think about everything that we on this planet would consider valuable and important. 
And it says, in comparison to the Lord, it's counted as nothing. It's a little bit of a paradigm shift that we're, we're getting some perspective now. And he does, please catch this, this is in your Bible, the ink is here on the page. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now that's hard because we want to really, really quick run up to that line right there and we say, no, 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 what about will? What about my will, my free will? And and we want to push that and want to rush there. All I'm saying is read the text. Just just listen to the Bible. What does it say? Before we rush to our yabuts, just look at the text. And let the Word of God speak. Don't fight the Word of God. Submit to the Word of God. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? When we use the phrase sovereignty of God, and we say he is sovereign, really what we're saying is there's nothing, there's no one that ever tells him what to do or corrects him. He He reports to nobody. That's hard because all of us like accountability. Do you know why we like accountability? Because we're dealing with fallen creatures all day, every day, especially the one in the mirror. But when you speak of God, you are speaking of one who is infinite, who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful. He is in complete control of all things, working all things according to the counsel of his will. And either you submit to that or you pretend believing in a foreign God. Now listen whatever, what, what else this man says. At the same time, my reason returned to me. Isn't it interesting? Seeing God as sovereign is when his reason returned to him. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me. And I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And you say, well, Nebuchadnezzar, how do you know that? (laughs) Well... I will be exhibit A for the rest of my existence that the Lord is able to humble me. Now, I want to look at a batch of of verses with you for a few minutes, okay? Um, The reason for this is I can tell you stuff all day long, but I want you to see with your eyes in your Bible what God says is the truth. So, Job 42.2. And I'm going to move as fast as I can turn, which isn't very fast, but just try to track with me. Job 42, uh, verse 1 and 2. Then Job answered the Lord. Now remember, this is a whole context where Job has been corrected by the Lord and, and so on and so forth. And Job's response after being rebuked by Almighty God, I know, and this is experiential knowledge. It's theological, but experiential. 
I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be, one of my very favorite Bible words, thwarted. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 96.10. Psalm chapter 96, verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands rejoice. Be glad. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Isaiah 46, verse 8. Isaiah 46, verse 8. And 10. This passage has become very, very dear to me in the last few months. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10. Remember this and stand firm. Don't, don't miss that piece, that, that standing firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Well, what are you like? declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Please notice, no no if, there's no clause. I will accomplish all my purpose. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. And it's the description of God at the end of this verse that I I want to specifically point you to. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, Him who? Who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And so you see Job, you see the psalmist, you see Isaiah, you see the Apostle Paul, you see Nebuchadnezzar, you hear what they say, every one of them with great clarity. There is no one sovereign over God. He reigns supreme, and he doesn't just sit there and hold steady with a bunch of powers he doesn't use. He says, I accomplish all my purposes. Plain and simple, submit or deny. This truth strikes us two ways. As I I look at these passages and I seek to apply them, this lands two ways. Number one, this should strike the most profound, deepest fear in the soul of somebody who is not in Christ. Because you can't get out of his judgment. You can't walk from his wrath. You can't can't bribe God. 
You can't convince him that you're really not that bad, and I'm not that bad of a guy. I never murdered anybody. I I never stole. I never lied. Well, he just did, but I never did any of these things. My righteousness is not... There is some there, God, and, and if you are just God... Well, be careful talking about, to God about justice. Beloved, the fact is, if God is sovereign, which I believe very much he is, then those who deny Christ, those who walk away from the Lord, those who are not righteous before God will endure his wrath and nobody will stay his hand. There is not a single measly creature that can smack the hand of God and say, what are you doing sending people to hell? In absolute, perfect, sovereign justice, his wrath will be poured out on those who are not in Christ. Flip that coin over. The truth of God being sovereign over all things should bring the greatest stabilization, comfort, and joy in the life of the Christian. Because the one who is in charge of all things, working all things according to the counsel of his will, the one who is sovereign, the one who is, uh, has all knowledge, all ability, and perfect righteousness, also has impeccable, perfect love for you. To the point that he gave his one and only son, who when he died on the cross, he was paying the penalty for your sin satisfying the perfect righteousness of Almighty God. And so, last verse of the morning, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know, I hope you do, we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good and for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good to those who who love God and called according to his purpose. What he's getting at there is in the life of a believer, all things work together for good. And I've said this many times over the years. I'll say it one more time. I'll say it a lot more times, but... um, It doesn't mean that all things are good. It says all things will work together for good. When Judas stabbed Jesus in the back, kissed him on the cheek, and turned him over, that was not good. But it did work together for good for the sake of the gospel. When Jesus was crucified, that was not good. But it was good in that God was working it according to his good purpose for a good end. Cancer's bad. Death is bad. Strife is bad. Viruses are bad. This is all from the fall. This is all from a sinful, tainted world who the sovereign king, he is using it for our good in the grand scheme. If that's true, then Lord, help me with my anxiety by that truth and stabilize me. Make me steady and trust in the sovereignty of God. Beloved, 
I don't, in the grand scheme of all eternity, let us relax a little bit on who is crowned president. Because he's not king. There's one king. There's only one true sovereign king that my knees touch the ground for. And so in the midst of things that with our eyes and our ears scare us, intimidate us, cause us to be really scared and nervous about, I challenge you, take up the word and search out God's word and ask the question, God, are you in sovereign control of this as well? And I know from the word of God with great clarity, he absolutely is. See, this is the interesting piece. I'll I'll close with this. The the sovereignty of God is something that can become very quickly academic and can become a a debate, and and people like to go back and forth at Bible school. This is what we lived for. We would love to go back and forth and debate and go into the hours of the night, have a good cup of coffee and debate predestination and election and God's sovereignty over all this creation and just wrestle with that, which is glorious and fun. But at some point in our life as believers, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God and his control over all things breaks away from pure academia and comes into the heart and grants a beautiful comfort when you've heard the worst news you've ever received in your life. I like to refer to that as when the sovereignty meets the road. It's when in our life we say, okay, Everything in me wants to come apart at the seams. But I'm not coming apart at the seams. I am held because I've been officially stabilized by truth. Yeah, you're about to jump out of the plane. But there's the parachute. You're in a vehicle going through rocky terrain with great difficulty, but the sovereign king of the universe has said, I am with you even to the end of the age. And Beloved, you know me better than this. You know that I'm not saying, therefore, life is easy. I'm not. But I am saying life is under control. And your eternity awaits you. Where there is joy everlasting. Just remember, guys, This life right here, this isn't it. This is not where it's at. This is not the the end game. The Lord has us here for a tiny little dot for the glory of his name and for the gospel. But your soul will reside in eternity in heaven in the presence of the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. The more that becomes clear, I think the happenings and the doings of this earth will not shake the ground beneath us. Father, I thank you for your word.